Goes back and scores! Brady Leibold goes back and forth behind the net, comes out the right side and lifts the backhander up and in. Leibold right here on Dylan. Dylan comes back with a right of his own. Here's Leibold uppercut. Another right by Leibold. Now he got another fight. Brady Leibold got the right hand pumping on Tony Mann. Up and over top and trying to control him as Leibold's got that jackhammer right going. Throwing a lot off the helmet. Now Tony Mann answering. But Leibold switched to left and he got a few more in there. Oh, you got to be loving this if you're at the Civic Center. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery. This is Brady Liebold coming at you guys from Muskoka, Ontario. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Team Issued Limited. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger. A community for all, striving towards the same goal. Everyone check out that website, teamissued.ca. Uh... Is Jesse Paradise's clothing brand, a former teammate of mine. The clothing guys is top-notch, quality stuff. Check it out. Use promo code TOEDRAG15. That's TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchases. Um, have a really big episode today, guys. I'm really excited. But first, um, obviously, there's been some tragic news in the hockey world. Um, I just want to uh, take a second here to send my condolences to Colby Cave's family. Um, myself, uh, I played my junior hockey three years in Swift Current, and uh, Colby Cave was a the captain there um, for uh, two seasons, and he made his NHL debut with the Boston Bruins uh, in the 2017-2018 season. And uh, my hearts go out to his family. Uh, we lost Colby the other day uh, in just a in a tragic death, so. Um, we'll obviously remember him and the hockey community is, uh, obviously our hearts go out to his family. So, um, without further ado, I, I want to introduce my guest today. Uh, this guy really needs no introduction. Uh, he's a hockey legend. And I know when, uh, I first came to Swift Current, uh, he was actually being inducted into the Swift Current Broncos Hall of Fame, uh, the same year of my first training camp. And his name was all over the dressing room for team records and penalty minutes and assists. Um, he was the only guy to captain four major league clubs, the Houston Arrows, the Chicago Blackhawks, the LA Kings and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, and also, um, I mean, this is the guy that brought me out of rehab and gave me a shot when, when nobody else would. So uh, without further ado, Terry Roscoe Rakowski, welcome to the show, my friend. Oh, hey, uh, thank you for having me on. It's uh Nice introduction. I appreciate that. And I also, my condolences out to the family. Uh, it's a tragic incident. And I, God, I, I, you know, you just, your, your heart goes out to him, man. It's it's not an easy situation for the family to go through, especially at such a young age. You're not supposed to have your children die before you. And I know the family is just devastated. And so is the hockey world. Uh, absolutely. And uh, Terry, you played your junior hockey in, in Swift Current as well. And uh, as I said earlier, I, I mean, in the town of Swift Current, you played in the Western Canadian Hockey League. It was around before the Western Hockey League, but but uh, the same equivalent. Uh, you were born in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. You played minor there till when you were 16, and then you went to the Humboldt Bronco, Broncos, played Tier 2 junior, Terry? Yeah, I was actually 15 years old when I went down there. I tried out for Swift Current, um, I, but I was really flattered. Back in the day, they, you didn't get drafted. You just got picked, Brady. Like, and all of a sudden I got a phone call from Swift Current and said, uh, yeah, we put you on our list in Swift Current Broncos. And at that time, I didn't know anybody was even looking, you know, looking at me or, or watching me play or anything a lot. 
I just thought my parents, <laughs> the other parents were watching me play. So I was, I was ecstatic about it. I went down to Swift Current to try out when I was 15, didn't make the team. I, I was really, I was really saddened by it because I, that was my goal in life was to make it. And they sent me down to Humboldt with the Humboldt Broncos. We had affiliation with them. So I went down there. That was the first year that they had junior hockey in, ugh, in a long, long time. So we were kind of the resurgence of the hockey world in Humboldt. Went right, down there. So, yeah, go ahead, there. Terry. Brady, went down there. It was probably the best thing ever happened to me because I got to play a lot. Um, I, I love the area. I love the people. And even when the tragedy happened uh, three or four years ago with the bus, uh, man, my heart went out to them too. It was just a tragic, tragic incident. And and I know the community of Humboldt was just, it's a great city, great people, and they love their hockey and they love their Broncos. And boy, that was another tragedy. Absolutely. I, I know they're um, they're bouncing back. They've had a lot of support and another tragic accident. And there was another bus crash uh, in Swift Current in the 80s that claimed four lives. But obviously in Humboldt, it was a lot more devastating. Um, again, my heart too goes out to them. But Terry, you broke into the Western Canadian Hockey League uh, as a 16-year-old with the Swift Current Broncos. You actually, uh, you were in the All-Star game as a 16-year-old and you were voted the Broncos' most popular player as a rookie. So um, <laughs> Terry, Terry, you were only five foot nine. And yeah. I mean, the game was a, the game was a lot different back then. And see, I grew up in Vancouver and uh, I didn't, I don't remember actually watching Tiger play Tiger Williams. Um, but I forgot to watch him when he was playing with the Vancouver Voodoo with the roller hockey uh, when he was doing that thing. But I couldn't imagine the two of you guys playing together. And you <laughs> got to play with him for three years. And it was your guy. It was actually your name and his name that was all over the dressing room wall when I first walked in. They had all the records and, and that. So uh, you guys amassed a, a, just a ton of penalty minutes and a ton of fights. I couldn't I couldn't pull the records on the fights from junior. I guess they didn't they didn't. Uh, keep it back then but you amassed uh 556 penalty minutes in only 188 games 78 goals 196 assists 273 points in your junior career um what was it like playing with tiger williams terry well Bree, i'll tell you the truth like i played with them the same team but he was a defenseman when he started off in swift current they had him as a defenseman he played through, i played against him for enough through all my minors because league career because when I was in Pee Wee and Midget where our team was pretty good we always end up being the best team in the north and then they were the best team in the south with when he played for Weyburn and we always played against each other so he was a defenseman he went to Humboldt as a defenseman he went to first year in first year and a half in um in Swift Current as a defenseman and and it didn't turn out so good he couldn't turn and his foot speed wasn't wasn't as up up to date as it should be as quick as it should be and I, I told the coach I said I said, listen, I said, maybe we should put him a center, you know, a left side. He said, well, who do you want to play him with? I said, I'll play with him. So he said, let's try it. So I put it, he put me on left, he put him on left side with me. And um, you're not going to believe this, but my other right wing was a guy named Ron DeLorem. Um, he's a head <laughs> scout for Vancouver and oh, he takes no backseat to anybody either. So he was yeah. my right winger. So I was pretty much protected. So I kind of had the rule the roost. I can pretty much do whatever I want. And I had those guys backing me all the time. But, um, yeah, but you were you were no slouch either, Terry. I mean, come on, you like to drop the mitts, and 
And uh, I mean, that was part of your game and, and hockey's changed a lot. And I don't want to get, to, I, I really want to get to that, but you also had a chance to play with Brian Trotty and he was actually inducted to this Whitburn Broncos Hall of Fame the same year as you. I actually have the t-shirt from that year um, in my closet, actually, the Ruskowski Trotty. I think I even have the hat somewhere too. Um, I remember wearing it after coming back from training camp and that. Uh, um, yeah. What was Brian Trotty like as a junior? He, amazing. He was absolutely, but his family was really committed for him being a really good player and, and doing the best he can. They, I think they sold the farm in Valmarie, Saskatchewan and bought a house right in Swift Current so they could, you know, take care of him and feed him and, and, uh, and uh, do everything they can to make sure that he was a good hockey player. But he was such a, I've never played against a guy or against a guy that was so solid on his skates. Like in practice, I, I, I could knock him off his skates when we scrimmaged or did something along that line or practice drills. And then we turned pro and I was in Chicago and different places. And he played with the Islanders. And God dang, it was hard for him. I, I, he was so strong on his skates and he was a smart player. He's Man, you know, to be inducted to the Hall of Fame, you've got to be good. But he, this guy was a no-brainer. Like not just the Swift Current Hall of Fame, but I'm talking the NHL Hall of Fame. This guy was yeah, a no-brainer. Besides being a great hockey player, he's a great person, and that's what makes him so special. I, man, he's um, if I had an all-star team, had to pick, you know, he'd be uh, he'd at his prime. He'd be right up there with Lemieux, who I played yeah, with. Okay. Yeah, I want to talk about that too here in a bit. But speaking of great people, Terry, I just want to touch you. If, if people don't know Terry, and, and I didn't know him before, uh, I, I will get to that. I get to play play for him as a player, my final year pro, but. Um, Terry doesn't swear, and in the hockey dressing room, it's kind of very uncommon um, for anybody not to swear, whether it be players or coaches, and it's just sort of the way it is, but Terry does not swear, and it just goes to the, you're just a class act guy, Terry, and uh, (laughs) some of the times when uh, guys would be dropping F-bombs, and you're saying the word suck, um, I was, I was literally trying me and I remember like guys like Mike Wilson, Dan Gender, Brandon Campbell's, we were trying not to laugh in between periods. We would be losing and you would come <laughs> in and not, you'd be saying suck instead of swearing. I would just be trying not to laugh. So you didn't get mad, but you know what I mean? That just attests to the type yeah. of guy you are and uh, the way you carry yourself and, and we'll no, get to that you. further, but you turn, you. you turn pro, you turn pro at 19 and I, you know, Terry, well, I've played for you. I was so like, just happy to be there. And I think as a player, um, I, I was 24 at the time. And, um, you know, you and I had a, a good relationship as far as a player and coach player and coaches go. But, um, I mean, now that we have this opportunity to talk now, I can appreciate you more as a friend. So there's so many things I want to, there's so many things that I want to ask you. And when I didn't even realize this until, you know, you know, maybe after I played for you and I wish I would have had the chance to talk to you like in person about, but man, when you turn pro, um, you were actually drafted twice. You were drafted uh, by the Chicago Blackhawks in the fourth round um, in 1974, right, Terry? Right. It was end of the third or top of the fourth, right? Top of the fourth. And then also there was a a secret draft hidden by the, the WHA. Um, and you were taken in the second round by the Houston Arrows. And so you turned pro and, and you had Mr. Hockey on your team, your first year pro Gordy Howe and his two sons. Can you please tell me what that experience must've been like? Um, they, that must've been incredible. You don't understand. It was unbelievable. You know, they said, what's one of your highlights of your whole career? I said, meeting Gordy Howe, like 
being around, I, I wanted to be around him as much as I could. Anything that fell off, I wanted to pick up because or rub off on me because he was such a great hockey player, but he was such a classy, nice man. Like he had time to sign every every autograph that came his way. He was he just didn't sign and he had a chance to talk to the person and thank them for being there, you know, and asking for the autograph. That's the kind of superstar he was. He was just incredible and, and a competitor, uh, unbelievable competitor. Like we had like ten days off before we we started our first playoff game and we were in first place. We had a, such a great team in, in Houston. And we were scrimmaging, you know, and you it's like a race or if you haven't raced for a long time, when you get this, you get the saddle put on, you just, all you want to do is run well and get crazy. Well, we were that, we were just getting antsy to play like real antsy. So I we were scrimmaging and I put the puck between his legs or around him. I went around him, got the puck and made a play. And I thought to myself, Ooh, I don't know if I should have done that. Well, stupid me. I did it again. And halfway across, he hit me with a stick across the face and cut me for about five <laughs> or six stitches. And he said, whoops, sorry, kid. So the trainer come out with his towel and I was coming off there getting going to get stitched up and he patted me on the butt and said, don't ever make me look bad. Don't ever make me look <laughs> bad. And I said, Gordy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. You can check me anytime you want. I have no problem with that. So, that's right. a, but he was a competitor. Like when I had, I was in the golf tournaments with him and, and everybody was kind of like drinking and having a good time. And, and Gordy kind of said, you know, I'll have one or two, but man, we got to win this. <laughs> Okay, good. All right, buddy. We'll do our best. But uh, he was just a he was just an unbelievable athlete. Like golfing, like he's an incredible golfer. And he never played tennis, so his sons wanted to play tennis with him. He picked out the tennis rackets, and they were playing for a while. And he beats them in tennis, first time ever. I mean, that's the kind of competitor he was. That's the kind of athlete he was. He was telling me the story about him and Al Kaline, which just passed away just recently. He used to go to the Detroit uh, the ballpark. And he used to take batting practice, and he used to hit the balls over the field, over the left field wall. I mean, that's hard to do. That's really hard. But that does not was, surprise me one no. bit. And it's it's funny you say that. You know, like you look at a lot of these elite elite hockey players, like the top top hockey players, and and uh, you take you can put them pretty much in any sport, and they're gonna be they can get good at. It. But I mean, that doesn't surprise. But to hit the baseball out of the park like that. Yeah. That, that's incredible. So yeah. um, I was going to save this question for later, but just before, so I don't forget, out of everyone that you played with, and we're going to touch on who you played with as we go on, but just before we get any further, who's the strongest player on the ice you ever played with or against? Oh, the strongest skater was Trachi, what we mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, Mary Lemieux, like, he didn't seem like he was going fast. It didn't seem like a shot was hard. But he blew by everybody, and he always beat the goalie with a shot that I thought that I had a shot harder than him, but the goalie stopped mine, didn't stop his. Um, I know respect- those ones. I know those yeah. ones. <laughs> Gordy, Gordy Howe was the most complete player. Uh, like, he was tough. Like, I remember when sticking up for his sons, like, he was incredibly protective of his sons. Incredible. And people would come by, and, yeah, Gordy, and Gordy just one-punch him, and the guy would go down and, like, grab his ankles, like, <laughs> it was it was pitiful to watch, but that's what he was. But talent wise, talent wise, I would think that Mary Lemieux had the most talent I've ever played with. Um, he could do things that I I, have, I haven't seen anybody do in a long time. Uh, and when he got mad is when he really did well. 
Like I remember the times when something happened to him and, and, and I was kind of like the protector. If something happened to him, I was supposed to talk to the guy and say, don't do that again or it's, something's going to happen. Um, <laughs> so I had to kind of protect him. He's six foot four, six foot five. I was five, nine. At that time, I was a buck 76. So, but I had to. I love how you, I hate it, Terry. I love how you're saying a buck 76 and you're giving yourself that extra pound instead of saying 175. <laughs> yeah. So, so. He get he's, he had the defenseman had the puck behind the net and Mario would say leave that leave that leave that in his French accent leave that and the, the defenseman just left it and he just wound up and all and all he could tell me all the time go to the net Terry go to the net go to the net go to the net all the time go to the net it's okay okay so I knew as soon as he picks up the puck come a little bit late and go right to the net if I didn't have an open net to score on I'd score in the rebound because he'd have a great shot on net but that was him. He made moves like people were just the defensemen from other teams were just like, what just happened? Like, how can he do that? You know, he just he was amazing. He, he was amazing with the puck. He was just absolutely amazing. But uh, Brian Trotche was was one of the great ones I played with. I, I was just so fortunate. Marcel Dion, he was a guy yeah, that just had an active yeah, score. Yeah, you played with him in, in L.A. So you you went from actually um, – Houston, you actually won the Avco Cup twice. You won it the your second last year in Houston. You were the captain for that. And then what you went to Winnipeg, played for the Winnipeg Jets the very last season of the, right. the World Hockey Association. And you guys won the championship that year right. too. And and you were yep. instrumental on that. What was that experience like? And uh, you know, I think uh, too, you were inducted into an honorable member into the World Hockey Association or uh, Hockey Hall of Fame, or uh, if yeah. I have that correct. Right. I'm not sure how to word that, but Terry, um, obviously you had a hell of a career, but yeah, what was it like winning the championships those two years? The, the crazy thing about it, somebody said that you're uh, that I was inducted to the WHA Hall of Fame. I said, yeah, go on. So I had to look it up, and it was actually true, but nobody ever told me about it. <laughs> so, but winning the winning the championship uh, my first year in Houston, um, it, obviously I'd never won anything before, and it was a great, great thrill. But I was fourth line, and I didn't get to play very much. So winning was nice, but then winning the last year, and I have to give credit to the Winnipeg Jets. When they lost, you know, the Hedberg and Nielsen and and, and, Gordon, and Bobby Hall, they had to fill the void. And what they did is all the players they thought would help their team from Houston, which just folded that summer, they bought their contracts. So all the people they wanted to come over to, to Winnipeg, would they come over and, and – and uh, this is the honest to God truth. I didn't want to go. Like, I did, because I hated Winnipeg. Not the city. I just hated the team, because we had a rivalry, and I just, I wanted to punch everybody out on the other team. So, Rudy Pillis was a general manager, and I was living in Houston, had a little condo uh, by a golf course, and and kind of waiting to where I was going to go and play. And he kept on calling me, and I told my wife, I said, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here. So, he called me at 5 o'clock in the morning one day, and I answered the phone, because I was still sleeping. He goes, oh, he says, yeah, this is Rudy Pillis. I said, I'm trying to get a hold of you. Hard guy to get a hold of. I said, oh, Rudy, how are you? How's everything going? It's kind of early in the morning for calling. He says, yeah, but maybe you know, I need to get a hold of you. He gets me this flea spiel about coming to Winnipeg. Da, 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 da. And I said, Rudy, I, I, I really don't want to go. And I'll be honest, I just don't want to go there. It's not because of the city. I just, I just the rivalry itself. I just don't want to go. So da, 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 I kept on going. And I, just, I finally got upset and I said, Rudy. Let me tell you something. I'd rather dig ditches than go to Winnipeg and play for the Winnipeg Jets. He says, oh, I'm sorry you felt that way. I said, that's the way I feel. And I have to run, have a good day. And I kind of hung up on him. 
Well, the owner of the team called me, and, 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 and since this day, we're, we're best friends. We're really good friends. Michael Gabadi called me. He says, no pressure. I want you and you and Carol to come in and just visit us. If you don't like it, no problem. We'll let you, you can go wherever you want to go. And I said, yeah, that's a nice man. So he paid for our way up to Winnipeg. We met him and his family, and we looked around, saw the dressing room, which we never did before. We're always the visitors. Really nice dressing room. Saw the people there, very nice front office people. And he says, I want to redo your contract. And I'm going, well, this this is getting to be a pretty good idea. So they redid my contract a little bit, not a whole lot, but a little bit. They bumped me up a little bit. And I thought that was a nice gesture. And I got to meet him. We got to with him and his family. I said, you know what? I'm going to come here because I really like you. So I went there. We won the AFCO Cup. But the, but the real reason, the real meaning behind it is I, I was – I was part of winning it more than in, than in Houston. I was, we had a really good team, but we weren't a really good team until a new coach came in. We that the, we were Houston and Winnipeg just back and forth all season long. We hate each other, even playing for each other. We hate each other, but it took a new coach to come in or turn everything around and uh, just walk through the playoffs. And then I hurt my shoulder and I didn't play one game against uh, Winnipeg or Edmonton with the Gretzky's team because they were first place at a, an unbelievable team. And then uh, I had to play the sixth game because I knew the seventh game, we go back there, it's it's all over. So I, I played, and, and we won the game, which was tremendous, tremendous feeling. And, but I it, it, I was more part of that winning than I was with win it, with Houston. So it kind of meant a little bit more to me. But yeah, winning I can, is I can yeah, I can appreciate that for sure. And um, so then you went, you actually went from uh, Winnipeg to Chicago, the team you were drafted from. How did that take place? And did they still have your rights in the National yeah. Hockey League? Or, or why did you choose to go to Chicago? Yeah, well, Winnipeg got raped. They they just, they took all the players. They only protected two. Edmonton did a real good job by protecting the majority of their players, you know, and they took a couple here or there. Winnipeg didn't do that. And I don't know why, Uh we had a really good team. And I think if we'd have had the, the full team that we did when we won the AFCO cup, I think we'd have surprised a lot of people in NHL. I, I really sincerely mean that because you look at the guys, like five guys went to a different teams in NHL and they end up to be top point man or sco- uh, goal uh, production person or point man on their teams. Uh, so that, that was the indication they had a pretty good team period. Uh, but they had a uh, Winnipeg, and I don't know how this was working, but Winnipeg and Chicago had a deal that they were going to do something with me and Hall or whatever, trade something back and forth. I, I don't know what it was, but apparently um, and, and Chicago had my rights in the NHL. So uh, Chicago backed out and said, no, we're going to keep them. And that was it. I started going to Chicago, which was which was OK with me because, you know, original six team, the nicest uniforms in hockey. I think that that was OK with me, too. Absolutely. And Stan Makita and Tony Esposito were there when you got there. Uh, obviously, two NHL greats. That must have been a cool experience. Oh, Bray. My, my dad's, God bless his soul, He uh, his favorite player was Stan Makita. And when I went to Chicago, he was, like, unbelievable. So at, at practice, they, they after practice, when they said I was going to be the cap of the team, I called my dad from the from the dressing room. And I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but they made me captain Chicago Blackhawk because you got to be kidding. I said, no, it's not amazing. I can't believe it myself. And he said, oh, that's wonderful. I'm so proud of you. He says, how's Stan Makita? <laughs> I said, Stan is a really good guy, Dad. 
And it was obvious. I can't believe, but Stan was walking by at that particular time. And I grabbed his arm and I said, hold on, dad. I said, Stash, they, everybody called him Stash. I said, Stash, please, my dad loves you. He's your favorite hockey player. Please just say hello to him. He said, yeah, sure. So he always said, this is Stan Mikita, Jinkoya, Jindobre, Jinatri. That was everything he said hello to. That's what he. That's how he said it. I don't know why, but that's what he said. He was a Czechoslovakian guy, and he says that all the time. But he said, Walter, how are you? And they're talking back and forth. Yeah, your son's doing good. And yeah, maybe come see us play sometime and all that. So I said, he says, oh, I got to go. Bye, Walter. And I said, Stan, thanks a lot. And Stash, thank you. And he goes, my dad goes, was that really him? I go, Dad, that was really, <laughs> that was really him. I promise you. He goes, oh, what a great guy he is. Oh, man, thank you so much. I was okay, Dad. He said, oh, by the way, congratulations. I'm proud of you, son. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, Dad. Good. See you later. So, yeah, you were, you were in Chicago for a couple seasons, uh, and then you actually were traded for, uh, for the first time in your career. Um, what was that experience like? Uh, was it kind of horrible, horrible, Brady, horrible experience. And I knew it was, I knew it was going to happen. I knew I was going to get traded. Horrible experience. Uh, my first year, I had a real good season with them. Second year was okay, but I had knee surgery and it restructured, reconstructed knee surgery. And it, it took me back three to four years. I, I swear, I am swearing to you. It's the truth. I was never the same for three or four years. Then it came back to where I was starting to play good again because I had confidence in, in turning and stopping with my knee. But it was just a horrible. It was over like eight weeks with this brace on. I couldn't lift, a, I couldn't lift five pounds. It was horrible. I came back and I was, had training camp. We had a new, a new coach. I, I'm going to say I, I really enjoyed all of my coaches except for him. And, and, and even if he had traded me, but he, was, he lied to me, consistently lied to me. Orville Tessier. It was a complete liar, and it's the only coach, only coach I disrespect in all of my career, minor hockey, junior hockey, whatever. I, it's the only coach I disrespect. I don't like him because he lied to me, right to my face, not once, but three or four times. And I, I, and I love Bob Polford. Bob Polford's a general manager. And I said, Polly, I said, I don't know what's going on. I said, I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm not playing a regular line in practice. He said, Terry, go up before practice and stay late. I said, okay. So I was on the ice before anybody ever came to the dressing room or to the rink. And they were, he said, what are you doing, Roscoe? And I said, I got to show him. I, I want to be here and play. And I stayed after to shoot. And it didn't matter. So Polly called me off. He says, I don't know what's going on with this guy. He said, if something happened, like, what, where would you like to go? And, he, and I said to him, I said, well, you, you played for L.A. I said, how was that? He goes, I loved L.A. I said, L.A. wouldn't be a bad spot. So all of a sudden, I'm playing at home. I played one game at home, played pretty well, got an assist, got a goal, went to St. Louis the next day, got another goal and assist. And all of a sudden, after the game, I see these guys from L.A. there, the, the general manager and the assistant coach was there. And I didn't, I didn't put two and two together. So I, 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 I didn't. So after the game, they, the next day, we flew out back from St. Louis to Chicago. And Pulford took me, took me behind, the, behind uh, the counter and he said, Terry, I, I just traded you. And I go, you got to be kidding because I love Chicago. My wife loves Chicago. And he said, I said, where, where am I going? He goes, L.A. I, said, I looked at him. I said, was that you? And he goes, yeah, that was me. Like, he did me a favor because that's where I wanted to go. And I always respected Pulley. Pulley had a rough outer coating, but inside he was soft as a marshmallow. He was a great guy. He'd do anything for you. So I went there. He said, when do you want me, want me to play? And he said, he wants you to play tonight. So I went home, packed a little bit of a bag, got back on the plane with my equipment, took off to L.A. 
Um, I left my legs, I think, over Arizona because I couldn't find them all game long. My equipment was got there late, had no pregame warm-up. They started me the game, and I th- think, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first time they've ever beat Boston in L.A. So everybody was kind of jubilant after the game, and and we're sitting. I was sitting in my stall, and I said, this is the most unbelievable day I had. This is crazy. Uh, I sat back, and, and Jerry Buss was our owner, and I love Jerry Buss. He's a great guy. He always brings in movie stars and, and different athletes, star athletes from different other sports into the dressing room after the game to inter- introduce some of the guys. And I sat in my stall, and, and Charlie Sermon was sitting right next to me. I had a stall right next to Charlie. And I said, Charlie, look at that. He goes, yeah, aren't they a pain in the ass? I go, <laughs> not now they're not. Hell no, they're not. So I was enjoying that a lot. I loved L.A. I couldn't afford to live there, but I loved L.A. I just, everything about it was just great. And I got to play with really good players there, too. I played with... You got, to, you got to play with Bernie Nichols and Marcel Dion. And actually, um, the last on my last podcast, I meant to bring this up. And then it's funny that I'm talking to you now. If there's one person that I think should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame that's not right now, and it's Bernie Nichols. Because um, if you look at this guy's numbers and what he did, it's pretty phenomenal. And, like... Um, what was he like to play with, and what was Marcel Dion like to play with? Marcel Dion was was a terrific hockey player, and he was a really good, really good guy, and I, I really enjoyed being around him. Like he's a competitor, real competitor. And I always liked being around Mar- Marcel. Is a good guy, and and he would get on the guys pretty much. You know, when they had to get on him, he got on him pretty good. Uh, Bernie Nichols and I were best friends. Like I was the best man at his wedding in L.A. At, we just got along great. It was just him and I. And I always, I always made sure nobody messed around with Bernie because he was he was my bread and butter at the time because he set me up and I set him up and we got along. And Jimmy Fox was my right winger, which is no slouch either. He was a really good hockey player too. So I was really fortunate to play with two really good players. But I agree with you. I, I don't know why he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I, I, I said to Bernie, like nothing bothered Bernie. Like he never got stressed out. He never worried about anything. He knew he was talented, and and if he put his talent on the ice, he knew that he'd he'd do well and and play well if he played hard. Uh, and I said to him, I said, you can play till you're 55 years old because nothing bothers you. Like I'd worry night before the game who I had to fight and who's going to have to challenge and what's the scenario, what I had to do there, and this and that. And I could hardly sleep, and I was always worrying about those things. But he, he just didn't bother him. He's always laughing, having a good time, and and Dave, not a David. He, he was a horsey. He was a horse nut fanatic. And, uh, and I loved horses. So sometimes after practice, we go to Santa Anita and zip in there and do some betting and go home from there. But yeah, we were really close friends. And I just don't understand why he's not, because he must have said something, did something to the NHL people, front office people or something to be chastised and be blackballed. Because with his record, there's no way that he should not have been in the to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and, and that's something that maybe you and I can start up and maybe get him in. Absolutely, Terry. Uh, and then I, when you were in LA too in '84, '85, you were re- reunited again with Dave Tiger Williams. Uh, <laughs> what was that experience like? Uh, I got to tell you, we, he got traded. Uh, there was a guy doing an interview with Tiger, Tiger, and uh, and he said, "Well, Tiger, you just." You know, you got traded from Toronto to, to L.A. and and you did this and did that and this that. So I said, and Tiger stopped and goes, no, I got traded from Detroit. I did this and this and this. I said, I might as well, he said to the guy, I might as well have an interview with that doorknob because he knows more than you. He got up and left. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, hilarious. 
But that's that's Tiger. I mean, that was the way he was. I mean, he was just he was always a team guy. He always had guys backs. Um, you know, playing the playoffs in junior when I when he was he broke his hand and he he didn't want to tell anybody, but he got a cast and he played uh, with a broken hand uh, during the playoffs and. He was that kind of guy. Like pain wasn't a big thing for him. He could he could run through and work through anything. But uh, going back to playing with him, he was good. Uh, like he got traded from Detroit, and we were practicing at a, at our, our practice rink in Culver City, which was just a dive place. But uh, apparently the uh, um, Detroit was practicing after us. They came in town. Well, they saw Taggers Taggers um, big truck uh, out in the parking lot, so they taped the whole truck round and round with hockey tape. So when he came out, all he had was tape all around his, and he was just upset as heck. He was just pissed. He was <laughs> upset. So, uh, but it was kind of funny to see that, that but uh, that's Tagger. He also, when I was driving from, he drove down from Detroit and apparently he was on the CB and a guy, trucker was mouthing him off on the CB. He like he drove a hundred miles out of his way to get the, but to truck driver, beat him up, get back in his truck and get back to LA. <laughs> that, no, that doesn't that doesn't my, surprise me either. So when you, that's my when you finishing, yeah, when you were finished in LA, uh, you signed with Pittsburgh, and uh, you were actually made assistant captain there, and that was Mario's second season. And um, through everything that I've really been thinking about, and and looking throughout your career and your coaching career, um, maybe the thing that sticks out most to me is is how the hell did the Pittsburgh Penguins make you captain? Uh, before they made Mario captain when he was in his third season. And, I mean, maybe that just goes to show you, and, and it, it really doesn't surprise me. It's just sort of crazy when you think it's Mario. But, man, you really are, like, uh, a world-class leader, Terry. Like, there is not another guy that's been the captain of four major league clubs. And uh, to be chosen ahead of Mario, even though he was young uh, – to me, that's kind of mind blowing. That must have been a huge honor. And and when you signed with Pittsburgh, was was that kind of like a, a motivating factor to go there because he was there, or or what was that decision? Well, I, I, first of all, remember I said I couldn't afford to live in L.A. anymore. Uh, I I was they were going for another year contract with L.A. and my old coach that was in Chicago that made me captain, um, Eddie Johnstone, was a general manager of Pittsburgh at the time. So he knew what I could do and what kind of personality I was. So he's the one that negotiated for me to go into Pittsburgh. So I, it, it was kind of a no-brainer because I had to get out of L.A. and, and go with E.J. E, and, I, and I love E.J. He's a great hockey person. He's a great person, period, a great hockey mind. So I went there and uh, had the fortune enough to play with Mario. Mario was, was my, uh, my roommate and my uh, center iceman. But uh, there was times where his English wasn't to the point where he is now. And sometimes you say things to the media that he didn't mean, or they misunderstood him and missed, uh, uh, did not write what he was meant to say. So I'd kind of step in there once in a while and say, no, no, he didn't mean that. He meant this. And he'd go, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. So Mario was, was still, um, and I have to give him credit. His, he turned uh, the English. He talked English really quick after that, you know, that the first couple seasons, but, uh, yeah, he was he was that kind of a player and that kind of a person, and everybody had a different perspective on him. Everybody thought he was cocky and arrogant, but he had the trouble trouble at the first with the English language, and it got him into that kind of scenario. But he he wasn't that way at all. He was a pretty humble guy, and we just had to be with him and, and help him out and make sure he. When I was a roommate, he caught the bus and make sure he was at curfew and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, he was. A, he's obviously a tremendous talent and, and went through some adversity in his career and came back and did some amazing things. Uh, your time with him in, in Pittsburgh must have been lots of fun. Uh, you finished your career off with the Minnesota North Stars. Um, you know, in 87, 88, you got to play with Dino Cicerelli. Um, obviously, he was a, he's a Hockey Hall of Famer, 500-goal scorer, and um, just kind of that greasy, you know, bang it in in front of the net type guy. Uh, um, but you retired in 1988-89. You only played three games, but you had a goal and an assist. Uh, what happened, and what was the decision to retire like, and, and how hard was that for you? Uh, when I... I left Pittsburgh is probably my worst mistake I've made in hockey. Uh, I, I, I really feel it was my biggest mistake, but I, I, my agent was calling around and Minnesota wanted me because they wanted me in the dressing room, uh, you know, to get the people in dressing room in, in the right frame of mind, uh, take it out on the ice uh, to be kind of, a, I guess, a leader for everybody uh, knowing that where I was and what I did. Uh, but the big thing that I wanted to do was become a coach, and they they had me one year as a co as a player, but then the next year as assistant coach. Well, um, Herb Brooks, the the Olympic coach, was my coach that year. That year I went there, and Herb didn't like that a guy named Lou Nanny was a general manager. Didn't like him forcing a player on I me. Mean, I think that they forced Herb to play me and to, and to dress me and all that. And I was a fourth line guy and fourth line guys can't be captain because they don't have the respect as a, you know, a, a guy that plays a regular shift and power player penalty killing uh, to, to have that say in the dressing room. So uh, it took a while for me to, to, uh, to get adapted and for him to adapt to me. And I think the turning point was I, I hurt my knee in Boston and they sent me back and I had uh, arthroscopic surgery and I really think at that particular time, Herb Brooks thought I was done. You know, knee surgery and at the age that I was at, like 33 or 34, they thought I was really old, um, which I don't think I was. I think he knew that I was done. He thought he was done. But I wanted to prove a point. And I, the guy that was in charge of, of rehabbing me and getting me strong, man, he told me he tell me to do it 10 times. I did it 15 times. You know, I did everything extra, extra, extra. Come once a day. No, I want to go twice a day to come to work. You know, I got my leg back into shape, and our first game was Detroit, and uh, I had to prove a point that I want that I was that I was there to stay. I wasn't there to pick up a paycheck. I was there to play hockey and try to win hockey games. Uh, I got into three fights that game, and the last fight was right by our bench, and I got into a fight. And after the fight, I kind of glanced up at him, and he kind of gave me the nod, like, "Yeah, okay, I got you." So the next day. We had practice, and I was playing with uh, uh, left side. I was playing, uh, yeah, left side with uh, Mark Hapshide, was, was, was came from the Olympic team, was playing really well at center ice, and uh, Cicerelli was at right, and I was at left. And we just, I don't know why, but we just connected, and we started playing really well. We started winning hockey games, and we just barely made, just missed the playoffs, barely missed it. Well, the whole regime gone. Herbs got fired, Lou Nanny got fired, every got, everybody got fired. And they brought in coaches, a new general manager, and they signed me to another contract. I, I really don't know why, because they never played me. So I, I finally get in the lineup, because I worked hard in practice, and day of the game I didn't play, but I worked hard there. And I just wanted to show them that I wasn't going to complain or, or be a moaner. I just wanted to be out there, a hardworking kid, and if they needed me, I was going to be there for them. 
So they played me a couple of games. I scored a goal and assist and trying to get going. So I was playing a regular line and, and in practice. And I, I guess the good Lord decided, you know, you had enough, Terry. I, I Somebody took a slap shot and hit me right in the foot, like right in the foot. And my foot swelled up like a like a balloon, and I couldn't put my skate, I couldn't put my shoe on. I was on crutches for a couple of weeks, uh, and then now it's kind of the end of me. I didn't get to play anymore. Uh, but I, but again, you know, I, I I think the good Lord said, okay, Jerry, all the times that you played and you worried and you did this and your injuries and flying, I didn't like to fly and all this kind of stuff. I'm gonna give you one winter off. <laughs> you know, like you're gonna get paid, but you're not gonna you're not gonna play very much. And I said, you know, and I, I, I slept, I slept well at night because I know I didn't have to, you know, go over who I was going to fight and how I was going to handle the, the guy fighting and what I was going to do with this, this situation. If this guy challenged me, what I'm going to do, I couldn't sleep at night. But that, that winter, I slept well at night, and I didn't make any little trips. Nice? I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, you know, at my, my last podcast, I talked to uh, a good friend of mine, James McEwen. He was an enforcer in the Western Hockey League and the captain of the Columbia Rockets when I was there. And he's actually the face of the class action lawsuit against the Canadian Hockey League. And um, you know, me and him touched on that. And I fought a lot too in junior. And actually, when I played for you, I fought quite a bit too. And uh, you know, I, I remember the same thing: uh, that anxiety, that fear. Um, not sleeping nights before games. I mean, it was all part of it, but while I was playing, I didn't really recognize it as, as those things. I kind of thought it was, okay, this is all part of being a player and I need to stuff this down. I can't talk to anybody about it because people will think I'm soft or this or that. Well, what was your mindset like when you were going through that? Like, did you start feeling that way in junior hockey too? Or cause I know you fought a lot in junior too. Uh, not so much in junior. Uh, but when I got older, the more that I had to be challenged because the more people were looking and anticipating and realizing that, that I wouldn't back down from anybody. Uh, and if I did, I couldn't live with myself, Brady. I, I'd call myself a coward. I'd call myself a chicken. And I, just, I couldn't. That, then I really couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat. I just, I, then the next game, I just had to do something to, to revive myself and make sure that this is not going to happen again. Um, but, well, in 1982, you fought Dave Semenko, and um, I, I didn't see the video, but that what was that like? Well, was I, that a, had to yeah, be a smart, I had to be a smart fighter him because he was strong, bigger, stronger than me and had a longer reach. So I got in tight, close, and gave a couple punches here and there, and I kind of held on a little bit. But I knew that if he stretched me out, I was, I was history. So as I got older, I got smarter in knowing to, to who to fight and, and, and how I was going to fight and if they had longer arms than me, then I was in trouble. If they had regular arms as as, as as well as I did, then it was just get the first and last one in. You figured that you won the hot, you won the fight. But uh, I fought McSorley. I fought fairly a lot of a lot of tough guys, and and uh, you know, uh, what you know, concussions, Terry? How many concussions do you think you had? And, and uh, there, was there recognition about concussions, or did you just chalk uh, it up to bell? Well, it, back in the day, nobody knew any better. You know, what, what's a concussion? It's just a big headache. Uh, and there's times where I drive home and, and uh, after a game and and the car wasn't parked, right? And I said to my wife, I said, what the, what the heck are you doing parking your car like that? And he said, well, you drove home. I said, I did. You know, I I don't remember driving home. Yeah, concussions were, you know, they were they were played as headaches. And if you, if you take some aspirin and if the headache went away, you're okay to play. 
And and so now that you're you're 65 years old now, and um, do you see any difference uh, as you've gotten older? And, and the reason I ask is because I've had a lot of concussions, and obviously uh, I'm a lot younger than you. But even you know, concussions really have just in the last 10 years really taken a a, a good step in the right direction. But um, even in my first couple of years at junior, there wasn't a whole lot. Um, but yeah, do you notice like because I'm worried like. I know that there's guys that have been hit more than me, harder than me, that may have it worse than me. But at the same time, um, I'm a little bit concerned. And I've talked to other guys that are concerned. Uh, do you, How are you holding up? And, and do you notice any long-term effects from, from any of the you sustained to your head? Yeah, uh, Brady, I think the ones that stand out more, than, there's times where I just get headaches for no reason. Uh, and that kind of bothers me. And and sometimes, like, my short-term memory isn't there. And I, I, I pretend I, I, I blow it off and I tell the guys, uh, I have a real good memory, but it's just real short. Well, <laughs> it's true. And, and there's times where I, I can't remember things or people's names and that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to make a point of doing this and remembering things to, to make sure that my mind is more focused. And now that I'm retired, I, I don't use as much to remember things and practice whatever so I'm trying to do different things on the computer just to sharpen my mind and try to keep it as sharp as possible. And and I just I just agreed. Uh, I live in McKinney, Texas, and they asked me if I would coach an 18 team here, locally team, um, and I said I would. So I'm getting back. Wow, I, I was I was asking if you were ever going to get back to coaching. I want to talk about your coaching career a little bit, but I'm happy to hear that. I I didn't know if you were retired or what happened but um i mean when the world goes back to normal here so you're going to be taking that on or are you yeah. excited about that how do you yeah, feel? i, I, I kind of am i i don't know what to expect i haven't you know the what kind of talent i'm going to have and what kind of team i'm going to have and how much time i have chances to uh to you know, teach them uh the different systems but uh yeah yeah but before that the last two years two and a half years i was um i was with a team with a team called the extreme team and we have like six seven guys and what we do is like the Dallas Stars have six rinks or they have seven rinks. And what we do is during the winter time is one week we go to one rink and we teach them passing. So we go to each rink once, a, you know, once a week and we go and we teach them passing. Then we teach them skating and then we teach them shooting. So it, it was it's great for me because there was no stress or pressure. It was just go out there and have fun with the kids and show them how to do the right things. And the guys I worked with were absolutely terrific. Like, we have so much fun together and it's just to get out with them and to be on the ice again and, and have fun with the kids, but have fun with the guys that are the other instructors. Uh, we're great. And, um, Dwight Mullins, I coached against him in when he was with the Allen Americans and when he was with, uh, Evansville in the East coast league, uh, he was the one that has put this together and he's the one that invited me to, to do that with him. And I really respect that. And I really thanked him for that because it's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you, you took a few years off, but uh, Terry, like, after you retired from the NHL as a player, uh, you moved into coaching almost immediately, but you took a job with the Saskatoon Blades uh, of the Western Hockey League, and um, actually, your first year, two years, you were there for two years, you actually had uh, Dave Hunchak as a player, and he was my assistant coach in Swift Current, and, um, you know, Dave is an excellent hockey coach, uh, a great hockey mind. What was he like as a player? I'm just curious. Yeah, you know what? He he came up to me and he broke he broke a hand or something. I can't remember a wrist or something along that line. He wasn't with me very long, but when he was with me, you can tell he gets it. 
you know? Yeah, get yeah he's got a, he definitely has a mind for the game, um, yeah. and he's a great guy. I actually, I talked to him the other day. Um, me and him are going to connect soon, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just curious as to – I thought that was neat that you had coached yeah. him uh, your first years there. Well, went, Brady, uh, Brady, I used to call yeah. him up when I'm recruiting for the Central East Coast League. I used to call him and ask about different players – in in on his team or in his division that he played against a lot he gave me great advice on that so yeah we kept in contact after i was uh, finished coaching with him yeah no he's a he's a great guy and after you were in saskatoon you went to the east coast league with the columbus chill for three years and uh then you made your way back to houston uh with the houston arrows but now they were with the uh the ihl the old i and that was a that was a old tough league and uh um what was that like uh I always hear stories about the old IHL and how tough it was and, and what it was like. Uh, what's your take on, on that caliber of hockey back then, and what was the league like? Well, the league was good. I thought the league was very good. We got guys that were coming down from the NHL that, uh, you know, that they were, didn't have a contract anymore and they still wanted to play. They usually come down to our league. They paid them pretty well. Guys were getting 100000 or a little bit more than that, sometimes the really good ones. It was a good league and great cities, great cities, but a really good league. Um, yeah, it was kind of a tough league. There were some games that were really tough. I can remember one, if you got time, uh, in Vegas. Um, and the guy right now, I think he's this one of the scouts for uh, the, the Blue Jackets in Columbus. But he was coaching because his coach got, either got fired or left some to go somewhere else. And we're playing in that. We're beating him in Vegas. And then all of a sudden, he put all of his – he had last shift, last change – on the shift he put all of his tough guys out there as soon as the puck was dropped he just started wailing on our guys just beating them and they went to the penalty box and everything else so the the game started to you know the, the game was starting to go again and i put all of my tough guy and i looked over at him after he put all his tough guys and he started fighting everybody i looked over and i kind of give him you you know what maybe you and i should go at it and he, and he, you're going to get yours and he, and he just kind of gets shrugged with his shoulders and kind of smirks and and turns his back towards me so I said, okay, that's fine. So the next the game started, I put all of my tough guys, and I said to the guys, I said, you know what to do, right, guys? He goes, you got it. So as soon as the puck was dropped, he, I, my guys just beat the tar out of his guys. And he looks over to me, gives me that big angry, starting to point his finger at me. I shrugged my shoulders, and I turned my back. I smiled at him and turned my back. <laughs> so so this is the kind of guy he is. So I'm, I have to go by his bench and by where the guys, where he goes off, where my team goes off, he goes off. So he's waiting on the ice for me. So I'm walking by and I'm thinking, if he says something to me, I'm going to punch him right in the head. So I'm walking by and I'm ready to do it. He looks at me and goes, good game, Rusky. <laughs> I go, you son of a gun. I, I can't believe you said that. He goes, good game, Rusky. And he, and he gets off the ice. I'm going, God dang it. So, yeah, that, but it was, but, it was a good league, but it had great, great cities, good league. I enjoyed it. I just the second year team. You were- yeah, well, you uh, coached Dave Tippett, and then you were replaced by Dave Tippett halfway through the year, uh, and then you took uh, you took a couple years off, and then you found a home in Laredo for like a decade, and you won a couple of championships there in the Central League. Uh, um, you spent a long time in Laredo, and I know that it's a great ho- it was a great hockey town, and uh, you must have developed a lot of good relationships there, and um, winning a couple championships as a coach, but. Then you went to uh, the Rio Grande Valley Killer Bees in 2011 and 2012, and that's uh, that's where I met you. Um, do you remember when you first heard about me, or, or how that came about? What's your what's your recollection of that? 
Well, I, I, I had somewhat of a team, but I, I, I needed a little bit more talent, and I like the tough, rough guys. So I was calling all of my guys, all of my guys, and your name came up more than once to me. Uh, and especially playing a Swift Current, where, where I used to play, I had a soft spot for Swift Current and anybody that played there. So I'm inquiring more and more. I'm, I, I talked to coaches that played, that coached with you, and coaches that coached against you. I talked to different agents. Um, and everybody said that, you know, like you're a feisty guy that can score when he wants to. You, 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 get, you push the right buttons, and this guy is going to perform for you. And I go, okay, I'm ready to push some good buttons. Hopefully he's going to perform. And that's when I called you and asked you to come down and, and to play for me. And, and, you know, we put on the line. I said, you know, I'm, you know, you're supposed to be a good hockey player and physical and all that, and I expect that from you. And you didn't let me down. That's the thing that no, I like well, about it. You never let me down. Yeah, you and I haven't talked. Actually, uh, I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, before I say that, I do want I appreciate you giving me that opportunity because I was I was in a really dark place. Uh, I hadn't played in a year and a half. I barely had been on the ice. I actually was in uh, rehab for my addiction, and um, I was actually taking the bus and the sky train to meet a friend of yours, Doug Rose. Um, <laughs> to Dougie. Go- yeah. Yeah, Dougie Rose, and uh, it was about a two-hour trip uh, altogether uh, through the bus and the sky train with my hockey bag uh, each way. Um, I did that three or four times, uh, and I remember Doug calling you, and then I actually went and uh, talked to you on the phone. I think I signed uh, the contract at Doug's apartment the night, a couple nights before I flew down there. Um, uh, I had some good friends on that team. Uh, Mike Wilson's one of my good friends, uh, Dan Gender and Brandon Campos. We had a really good team down there, but... Um, there were some stipulations when I got there and, um, you know, drug testing was one of them, which we did. But um, and I remember when I, like when I came there, I don't know, if, you know, if you even know this, but like uh, prior to going to rehab, I was homeless. Um, so when I was in rehab, I stayed a little bit longer after I had finished the program just so I could get those couple of skates in with Doug, uh, Doug Rose. Wow. And uh, I only stayed there longer because really I had nowhere else to go. And I literally walked out of the doors of uh, rehab and got on the plane after not playing for almost two years. And, uh, you know, I really struggled in, in the first few games and I, and I fell a step behind. Um, but it wasn't until I think my fifth or sixth game, I had like a five point night. But I think I fought in every game in the first five or six games. Um, were you worried at all um, once you got me down there and you got to talk to me? Were you worried that I was going to relapse while I was down there? Well, it was a concern of mine, uh, but I, I had faith in my leadership on the team. And I actually talked, I don't know if you knew it or not, but I talked to some of my leaders and I said, okay, I want you to keep a close eye on him. He's a good hockey player, good person. We want him to be a better person and a better hockey player for us. Watch him, make sure you take care of him. And I think that they bought onto that. Now, hopefully they did. I don't want to hear stories that they didn't, but uh, I, no, I, 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 go ahead, Terry. I had faith in you. When, when we talked, you were very convincing to me. And, and, and I, I wanted to make sure that, that I didn't want to drop the ball when I was talking to Dougie and he told me about your situation. I didn't want to drop the ball and think that this wasn't a serious situation for you and for me going into it. And that's why I wrote those addendums into the contract, knowing that I knew your problems. And I want to make sure that, that you knew that I knew and that we had to take care of it. Uh, in that fashion, I, I didn't want to give you any kind of leeway. Uh, I think if I said one time is all, all it needs and you're going home, I didn't want to say, okay, you can have four or five chances. Well, that wasn't going to work because we had a pretty good team. We had a pretty good nucleus and 
And uh, we were going the right direction, but we needed extra to get that next level. And that's why you were an uh, important part of our uh, our scheme and, and what we're going to be successful with. Um, yeah, like, so I'll tell you, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I didn't even have one sip of alcohol, nothing, zero zilch while I was down there. And it was an extremely good experience for me. Um, we actually, me and the boys, we, we went to the strip club quite often. But like I said, I, I would go and I would drive these guys home because I wouldn't drink and I had no inclination to drink or anything, even being in situations like that. Um, I didn't even take part in the rookie party. Uh, when I was down there, because yep. I thought that was a situation that, you know, that, you know, maybe I should just sit back and because, you know, in that, you know, going to the strip club with five or six guys is a little bit different than partying yep. with 20 of your teammates in a rookie party fashion. And I could, so I didn't participate in that. And that was a smart decision for me. And, you know, but I'll tell you, uh, you know, I knew that you giving me that chance, uh, you know, I didn't want to let you down and I didn't want to let the team down. Um, I actually really wanted to play the following the following year. And when you went to Quad City, do you remember? Or actually, before I get into this, do you? I wanted to tell this story. Um, so, do you remember there was we were on a road trip? Actually, I think we were coming back from Quad City um, on that road trip, and um, we ended up winning two or three games, uh, three games in a row or something. So, um, <clears throat> the boys the boys asked if we could have a couple of beers or something on the bus, and you gave it the okay. So. We went into the gas station and everybody went in and everybody comes in and they got their brown paper bag and we played a joke on you. I don't know if you remember this, but I walked in with a brown paper bag. <laughs> I was just drinking a big thing of chocolate milk. It looked like I was drinking a, a 40 of beer or something. And you were like, well, let me look in that bag. And we had a good laugh and it was kind of funny, but I remember the light of the situation. Yeah, you remember that when I walked on the bus, that. but. I remember that. Yeah, it was just so funny. a little bit, you know what I mean? But no, I'll tell you, no, I really appreciated that opportunity and I didn't want to let you down and I, and I didn't. And no, I, no. I actually, when you quad city, I wanted to come play for you, but when I came home, I, I relapsed almost instantaneously. And, and actually I just, uh, you haven't heard yet. We haven't spoke, but um, you know, I ended up in jail for a couple of years and I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver. Um, it was not good. Uh, I overdosed over 10 times and I was just, you know, on a path of destruction and trying to kill myself, to be honest. So, um, you know, I decided to, to make a change. Finally, um, I put my skates on for the first time about three weeks ago and I skated down my driveway, which was ice right onto the lake where my girlfriend's family lives. We live about a 30 second walk from the lake um, because awesome. the Swift Grand Broncos. Yeah, the Swift Grand Broncos sent me a pair of skates. Uh, when I got out of jail, which was really nice. And uh, I hadn't even used, yeah, I hadn't used them for a while. And uh, I'd been up here all winter, um, but then the snow started to melt and there was no snow on the lake. And we passed this other lake. And I was like, if that lake looks this good, then our lake's got to look good too. So I walked, skated down there and uh, threw on my skates. And, you know, obviously uh, I actually, I said laugh because if you've ever seen the movie Mighty Ducks, when Gordon Bombay, the coach puts on the skates and starts skating around, uh, that's what I felt like. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's in that moment where I kind of decided that I need to reconnect uh, with the game of hockey. And um, I kind of got the idea to do this podcast and I'm six episodes in and I've had nothing but support. Um, you're the f first coach that I've talked to and the first real coach that I connected with. And you agreed to do this right away, Terry. And uh, you have you have no idea how much this means to me. Um, there's a couple more things I want to talk to before we go, but I just, before anything, I just want to say thank you. Um, 
As, as far as a player goes, is there one thing that you can remember about me as a player that maybe you were like, either that stood out in a good way or stood out in a bad way where you kind of wish I could turn it down a little bit? Because you remember there's a couple incidents um, that I got into off the ice or whatever as, with fans because they were making fun of my, uh, my addiction situation. And uh, also, um, if you remember, there was a situation with Aaron Bugard um, one of the fans that uh, made a remark about his brother passing away, which um, made us all snap and lose our minds. And it yeah. kind of made us think unclear, uh, which was, uh, which was unfortunate. And it hit home for me because um, it very easily could have been me in that situation with the way that I was yeah. living my life. But um, yeah. if there's one thing, do you remember about me and the way I played? Uh, what would it be? Brady, I always thought you had talent and there's times where I, I thought you, that, that you could, really take over a game by yourself and there's times where you did and there's times where you didn't but you have the talent uh the only thing that i would suggest is sometimes you lose focus when people yell at you or when other teams try to get to you you lose focused and that was some of the things that i i really wanted you to get better at is it's all words it doesn't matter win a game and shove it down their throat is what i want you to do more of I know it's tough when they get on you and uh, they kind of make fun of your situation, which wasn't funny at all. And same with Bugard. I mean, that guy, you know, he got fined and suspended because that guy, the photographer in Fort Worth, said something about, you know, your brother should have died because he's stupid or whatever. And and Bugard hit him and punched him in the head. The league came back to me and said, wait, that can't happen. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you something. Your brother did a lot that you loved, and and pe- and he died because of something. And somebody's gonna throw it in your face. What were you gonna do? Just gonna take it? I said that's ridiculous. I said the guy got punched in the head because he he deserved it, and that's what he got. He deserved it, and he got what he deserved. If he just shut up and take pictures, none of this would have happened. So, and then he got here. They act. They actually offered him five games suspension. They, they let let it out for one or two. So I had yeah, to back I- that. But I I thought if you would just focus more on your ability to play the game and not let other teams get under your skin or the fans get under your skin. I think that that would have been something that I want you to improve on, happen to improve on. But I remember you're coming in my office and I bring in, because you walk by my office all the time to go in and out of, you know, for the dressing room. And I remember calling you in and sitting you down, how you doing? And I remember saying, and I remember you telling me, what you just told me now. He says, yeah, we went to place and didn't have anything, had Coke or something. I said, good boy, keep it up and then you know, go away. So I call you in periodically. But I remember one thing at the end of the season, and I told you, and I wish you to listen to me. He said, I said, what are you going to do now? I said, I'm going back to, you know, BC, and I'm going, do me one favor. Whoever you're hanging out with before, you know, when you're doing this addiction stuff, I said, stay away from them. Get new friends, get new relationships that – that don't do this because you're going to fall back in the same trap again and you're going to happen. It's going to happen again. Stay away from those friends, get new friends and make sure that they don't do it. So it's easier for you to get off it and stay off it. And he didn't listen to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's I know it's tough. A, a challenge. It's been uh, 10 years of absolute hell, Terry, but um, I'll tell you what, like, I'm not playing hockey anymore, but uh, and this podcasting it maybe not be the answer to all my problems, but it's it's certainly opened a lot of doors. And look, I'm getting to talk to you again. I'm getting to talk to a lot of teammates. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, uh, 
know, and things like this, it's, these are the things that are going to keep me clean and, uh, and, you know, keep me on the right track. And, uh, you know, I got some exciting news that I'll share with you outside of this podcast because I can't tell it yet, but, um, you know, I'm going to have Doug McLean on Wednesday. That's good. Nice. Um, that he's uh he's gonna come on i got steve steph uh steve Seffel coming on uh terry ryan coming on um nice. so it should be good. Uh, my buddy adam braidwood the boxer i don't know if you remember when they did that comeback story about me um they talked to my friend uh the professional football player turned boxer um anyways he's coming on so i've had awesome. lots of support terry but uh um getting to talk to you on on a personal level um you know more as friends now obviously i'm younger than you i still call you coach i've been texting you back and forth saying coach hey, coach right but um you know you opening up and sharing these stories with me like i was sitting here listening to you with a smile on my face like you got to play with gordy how and like how yeah. cool is you know what i mean like it's yeah, awesome you know you got to play in the nhl um, for 630 games, 188 in the WHA, uh, four, you're a captain of four major league sports teams. The only person to do that, Terry, like that's our record, like 1,342 yeah. PIMs in the NHL. Um, you know, you, you know, what's that, Brady? 188 games in the, in the WHA. Like, uh, I'm just, I really do like one. I'm really worried about these concussions. Um, what's your what's your take on fighting in the game today? That's, that's kind of my last question. Here. Um, because, you know, for a long time, um, like everybody says, Oh, it'll be chippy. It'll be this. It's a part of the game. Um, but as I've talked to more and more people, and as I've had to live with sort of the consequences of fighting myself, um, I'm starting to see it in a different light. And I think it's just because too, like we're so used to seeing fighting in hockey and that, but again, like, you're an old time hockey. Like you are one of like, you know what I mean? Like you are that generation now of old time hockey and uh, yeah. you lived it and you played uh, as tough a game as anybody could have. And, you know, so what is your, where do you see the game going and do you see fighting involved in it down the road? Yeah. Well, you know, when I, when I went to uh, from Pittsburgh to the North stars, Minnesota, uh, that was, it was called the Chuck Norris division and every team was tough. Like every team was tough and they are just fights after fights. Now, as I watch the game, it's totally different from when I played. Like it's so much speed now. And, it, and it's just, it seems like every, the game is between the blue lines. It's so, you know, there's, there's just not many chances to score. Um, it's between the blue lines and along the boards. That's where the majority of the game is that I see anyways. You know, fighting along the boards, offensively and defensive zone, but the game is between the blue lines now. If you can make that pass or make that quick, you have a chance to score, but there's not many chances to do that. I still like the scrapping. I I I like when I watch, you know, two guys don't like each other or something happened. Not to not to go look for one, but something happens along the line where you yeah, let's get out. Let's drop the gloves and do what you have to do. I guess I'm an old time guy like that, but I go to games here in Dallas. And when it happens, when guys just start pushing, all the fans start jumping up and cheering. And this is just pushing. Um, but if they ever drop their gloves and go, I think that the fans enjoy that. And that's what kind of made hockey unique than any other sports. You do this on the street, you get five years. You do this on the ice, you get five minutes. What a great sport. That's, yeah. what, it, that's what it was all about. I don't mind it's definitely. I loved it too. And, and I love part, and it's part of, it was part of my game. And, uh, 
you know, and I live for it. I was sticking up for my teammates. And then, and then that's probably, I didn't get to watch you play, but that's probably how most of your fights started too, was sticking up for your teammates. You get exactly. 103 just in the alone. So um, exactly. I can't even imagine how many fights you had between the WHA and the, your junior career. And man, like, um, you, know, you know, Brady, so, one, Brady, one of the things that I kind of, kind of disappoints me is that through my WHA World Hockey Association games and the NHL, I played 999 games. Wow. I need the, Did I need you know that? that? Know no, that? I didn't know that until I was tired. I was reading, somebody showed me something, and it said, you know, did you ever realize that? And they go, heck no, I didn't realize that. I never, I never really looked at my stats at all because, you know, that wasn't yeah. part of my thing. I just want to go and play. But uh, they said 900. So I looked it up, and sure enough, not counting, you know, playoff games, but regular season games, WHA, NHL, 999. That's Amazing. crazy. Who was the scariest guy that you were ever played against or worried about fighting where it was like, holy hell, like, and, but then you didn't even want, but you couldn't let anybody know. Right. So then you get anxiety or whatever, or, or was there a time where you actually said to maybe your wife or your dad or somewhere like, Hey, I'm scared. Like, or like, I can't see you doing that myself. No. Cause if I know you, I, I, uh, I, I never said I was scared. I never said to anybody that I was scared. No. There's a couple of guys who intimidated me. There's no question. Especially Detroit. They had Kosher and uh, Probert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the big boys, I mean, they're intimidating because they just don't throw it to, to, to punch. They throw it like to hurt you. Like they came from left field. It wasn't little jabs. They, 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 they were coming to hurt you. Those are guys that, that intimidated. Yeah, but it, I mean, if something happened, I had to do it. And I remember the one game in Detroit. It was where we were winning the game. I think we were in Chicago. And uh, Irisman was playing the point, and they pulled a goalie, and the puck was coming around the boards, and and I knew I couldn't get there in time, so I just ran him over, and and uh, and the puck went out, and I got the puck, and I either scored an empty net or, or somebody else did, and we won the game by two. And I remember going by the bench, and those guys are going, Ruskowski, we're gonna kill you next game. We're gonna punch you. We're gonna kill you. We're gonna crawl your eyes out. We're gonna shove a stick down your throat. We're gonna cut you. And I'm going, oh god, here we go. Here we go. And I got those big guys after me, and they had more than one guy that was tough. That, but they they were guys that they threw punches to hurt you like bad. But uh, there was other guys, you know, other teams that uh, that uh, they were pretty intimidating. There's no question about that. And I I wouldn't. Did back you ever down. get cold? Did you ever get knocked out cold in a fight? Uh, no, not I. In junior hockey, I remember one time when I was playing uh, in Saskatoon, there was kind of a little brawl. And a guy hit me, I guess he hit me square on. And I remember going to the penalty box and I was, I was going to tell my coach, I don't feel so good. But my last thing I was thinking is don't be a suck, shut up and don't be a suck and sit down. So I sat down, but I don't remember going off the ice. I remember going to the dressing room and the coach was yelling at us cause we're losing. And I went to my, the, my, my part, my playing partner on the, on the right side. I said, right, what time is it? And he goes, shut up, sh- shut up. I go and, and and the coach come up to me and goes, Ruskowski, are you talking when I'm talking? I can't believe that. What's the big secret? I looked up and I says, what time is it? He looked around. And he says, time for you to go to the hospital. So I, but I couldn't remember saying that. And I, I kind of, I snapped when I got to the hospital, I kind of woke up and I'm going, what, where am I? What happened? What, how'd I get here? And that was the only time I really, the other time I got my teeth knocked in by a punch. 
I was playing in Houston. The punch came from Dallas and knocked three of my teeth in. That was the day before Thanksgiving. I had turkey turkey soup through a straw. Broke a bone. <laughs> yeah, I know those ones too. I'm missing my four front teeth still to this yeah. day. So I, I um, got hit. Yeah. I got hit. I got hit. I can't remember who it was, but somebody punched me. I had my helmet on. He punched me in the forehead uh, with a with a with a with a fist with a punch. Uh, the next day, I couldn't put my helmet on. Uh, my forehead was just swollen up big time, and I couldn't remember who did it, but I know they punched the heck out of me. That oh, that's hilarious. Okay, well, Terry, I'm, uh, you know, Terry, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, you know, I, I really wish you all the best, and and thank you for catching up with me. I hope you and uh, the family are safe, and yep. um, you know, it. I'd love it if you'd come on here again. Uh, maybe down the road we can catch up. Maybe once hockey starts again, we can yeah. shoot the breeze and, and see what's going on, see if we can't get Bernie Nichols into the Hockey Hall of Fame. There you go. Brady, I just want to tell you before we leave, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you, what you did. I know you went through a hard time in your life. And uh, to come out of that and doing what you're doing, uh, I'm very proud of you. Uh, I always have a saying that once my player, always my player. And if you ever need a chance to talk or to have something that you're thinking about doing something that you shouldn't be doing, you got my number. Call me. We'll talk it over. We'll talk it. We'll, 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 we'll stay in touch that way also. But I'm very proud of what you did. And, uh, and I, can, I hope you continue to do this in, in, in this kind of manner because it's, you are getting well-respected because of what you're doing. And, again, if you ever need to talk to somebody – I'm always here. You got my number. Call me anytime. Once my player, always my player. You're the man, Terry. Thank you so much, Coach. We'll talk soon. Okay. Love you too. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to my former coach, Terry Roscoe Roskowski. I truly appreciate him taking the time to to come and chat with me. I I really appreciate him doing that. And it was fun to catch up with him and and hear some stories that I certainly hadn't heard. Uh, Obviously, the ones about Gordie Howard were fun and um, he's had an exciting life and uh, throughout his playing career and coaching career and uh, he was definitely there for me and to hear him uh, just that he has uh, my back still really means the world to me and to all you guys that you know have reached out I really appreciate it Um, addiction is not an easy thing dealing with mental health is not an easy thing Um, you know it's this is one day at a time I'm fairly fresh in recovery I'm about three months clean three and a half or so um, you know, it is one day at a time, guys, and you guys really have no idea. The comments and the messages, they, they really mean the world to me, and they're helping me in, in my journey here, in my battle. You know, if you're having struggles, reach out, if not to me, to somebody else. Um, you know, don't forget to check out www.teamissue.ca and use promo code TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchase. Guys, honestly, their clothing is so nice. Please check it out. They have nice hats, nice sweaters, joggers, you name it. Please, please check it out. Once again, my heart goes out to the Cave family. My deepest sympathies and condolences to Colby Cave's family. Um, Colby was a terrific hockey player, and I never got to know him, but obviously a tremendous human being. And uh, You know, the hockey world's going to miss you. The world's going to miss you, but you won't be forgotten. Um, Colby Cave, rest in peace.
Drop me down to the river. 